If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, uh, open it up to Psalm 88. If you do not have a Bible, um, come see me after the worship service. I would love to give you one, and you might be able to find one in one of the the seats in front of you. So um, please uh, feel free to search for one. We're going to look throughout this psalm, so it would be helpful to have uh, one in front of you. We are... um, rolling along in this message series on mental health and emotional health. We believe that we cannot be spiritually healthy unless we are emotionally and mentally healthy, that, um, that our bodies, our mind, soul, um, physical body or heart uh, is part of one integrated being, uh, and that is, that is you. Uh, we're all connected together uh, in terms of our mind, uh, heart, and our, our soul and our body. And um, our hope in this series is that we, that we um, hear from Scripture about growing emotionally and growing mentally in our health. We've talked about a few emotions so far that can derail our emotional and mental health. Um, we've talked about shame, and fear. We've also mentioned how both of those emotions, shame and fear, can be used by God to draw us closer to him. And today we're talking about another emotion. It's probably um, one of the darkest emotions that we can think of. And it also is an emotion that may... um, be the most difficult to understand how God would use it in a, in a positive way in our life. And the emotion is despair. And we're going to look at Psalm 88, um, which is, quite honestly, it's not my favorite psalm to just read um, for encouragement. Uh, there are only two psalms that I know of that do not end with an encouraging um, verse or phrase um, or series of verses. Um, Psalm 137, which is a little different uh, than Psalm 88, but also Psalm 88 is one of those. Um, and so what, I, what I'm hoping uh, will happen is that we will, even though it doesn't end on an encouraging note, an uplifting note, that we will see how God can use despair to, um, to draw us close to him. So, let us read through Psalm 88. Uh, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. And that's about as encouraging as this psalm gets. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Because I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You have taken my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? 
do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is, is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? For my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Um, we're talking about despair, depression uh, today. I know this is a, it can be a very um, sensitive, um, raw topic. Um, I'm pretty convinced of this, whereas um, you might not have experienced depression yourself. Uh, you have a friend who has, or you have a family member who has experienced depression. Um, and when you are in despair, when you are... Um, in depression, um, you know, one of the, the natural thing, things is to, to look for answers. And not just answers like explanations, but like something to change, an answer. Some, something to change about your depression or your despair. Um, for God to do something. And there are several ways that you could break up this psalm and, and, and look for a structure. And I want to describe... One way to structure the psalm around answers and the look for answers, the searching for answers. Um, so let's start with the very beginning, verses 1 through um, 5. Um, and these verses say to, to go to God for the answers. Um, if there's any positive-sounding verses, it's right here at the beginning of the psalm, verse 1. Lord, you are the God who saves me day and night. I cry out to you. The psalmist is coming to God for answers. I'm suffering right now, O oh God, so I'm turning to you who is the one who saves me. And when you are going through difficulties or despair or depression, you can either turn towards God's goodness that you've experienced in the past, or you can turn away from God's goodness. And here, one of the gifts of Psalm 88 is we see that the psalmist is running towards God. But that does not mean that it comes easy. In fact, he writes in verse 3, I'm overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. Who is he describing? Those who have gone down to the pit. He's describing those who have died. <laughs> In other words, he's saying that death is all around me, Lord. It just feels like I'm, I'm living in death. It's so important to realize that in this psalmist's depression, he doesn't quite give up, does he? I mean, it seems like he gets really close maybe to giving up on the idea that life will be, be good again, but he never gives up on God. He never gives up on God. He, he comes to God in his distress. He pours out his heart and his soul to God. And there's, there's a good example 
in here for us, and that is keep going to God. Keep talking to God if you're in depression. Keep yelling at God. Bring your prayers to him. Don't give up. Think your prayers to him. Speak your prayers to God. Yell your prayers to God. Sing your prayers to God. Write your prayers to God. But don't give up on God being the one who saves you. Even when it doesn't look like God is providing any answers. And it's likely that at some time in your life, unless you're really, really, really young, um, that there's been a time when you've experienced um, suffering, trial, sadness, even depression, where you've asked God, God, why is this happening? Can you do something about it? And you haven't received an answer. And that's what the psalmist experiences next. Let's look at this next part, uh, verses 6 through 9. God is not giving me the answers. In fact, not only is God not giving him answers, the psalmist places the responsibility on God for his troubles. <laughs> Look at these, these verses, 6, 7, and 8. Verse 6, uh, you, you have put me in the lowest pit. It's not that I just stumbled in this lowest pit. You've put me here. Verse 7, you've overwhelmed me with all of your waves. Verse 8, you have taken from me my closest friends. You see that? Uh, the psalmist recognizes God's hand in some way, at some level in all of this. The book of Job. Job does something similar. It's another example of, of this. You know, Job, um, he loses his whole family. And he says something very similar to God. Job, look at what Job says to God. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly with the might of your hand. You attack me. And, and God, later on, and, and Job gives a response, gives a, a reply, but it's not a very satisfying answer. Here's God's reply. Uh, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? That's probably not the reply that, that Job was hoping for. God says, listen, I, I created all that there is. I can do whatever I want. I can do as I please. Um. Job sees God's hand in his suffering somehow. Now, I don't think that the psalmist, I don't think that Job uh, could fully understand God's hand in their suffering, and, and neither can we fully. You know, Job accused God of attacking him. That, that word, attack, God, you're attacking me, um, that word means to hate. Uh, means to to cherish animosity towards. So, was God really feeling that toward or doing that towards Job? I don't, no, I don't. I don't think so. No, God wasn't hating Job or cherishing animosity towards Job. God wasn't against Job. Um, and it's important for us to remember that if we're going through depression or living in despair. It's not because God is against us. God is not against you. And the New Testament is clear. Through the grace of Jesus Christ, we are not enemies to God. You might feel that when your situation is bleak. God, 
what did I do to offend you? No, 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 you are not God's enemy. We used to be God's enemy, but not any longer. When you are experiencing darkness and despair, it isn't because God sees you as an enemy and he's out to get you. And it's important for us to see that neither Job nor the psalmist here in Psalm 88 says, you know, God, I'm suffering, but I guess you can't do anything about it. I mean, that's a, they're far from saying that. I guess you can't do anything about it. They never deny God's power or sovereignty. They realize the universe isn't out of control. And that's important to remember. The universe isn't out of control. Your life isn't out of control. But God just isn't giving them answers. And sometimes he doesn't give us the answers that we are looking for as well. Then we move a little further in the psalm, uh, verses 10 through 12. uh, We see this. God uh, is giving me the wrong answers. Um, Sometimes God doesn't give us any answers, and the psalmist here, I think, is accusing God of giving him the wrong answers. The psalmist tries to reason with God. God, let's think about this. I'm dying here. Uh, Verse 10. do you show your wonders to the dead? Do, do, do the dead, do their spirits rise up and praise you? No, they don't, God. They don't do that. Last time I looked, those dead in the grave aren't declaring your praises, God. Your wonders are not known in the grave, God. He's trying to convince God that rescuing him makes so much more sense. Uh, have you ever had a similar conversation with God? God, it... Certainly would be great if this were to happen, if I were to get this job, if I could get into this school. Oh, this house, this house, this is a great opportunity, Lord. It sure would make sense if I were to get this house. Um, so the psalmist has this little tug of war with, with God, and, and God just lets him do it. The grace of God, he lets him do it. And, and you can hear the shout, you know, God, this doesn't make sense. Why is this happening? It just doesn't make sense. And then finishing the psalm, verses 13 through 18, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if the psalmist is realizing that sometimes there is no answer. There's just no answer. No explanation. And there are some terrible statements in these verses. Uh, we see that the psalmist is completely overwhelmed. And in verse 15, just hear, hear the, the sorrow, the, the despair. I have borne you terrors, and I am in despair. Verse 16, your terrors have destroyed me. And verse 17, they have, they have completely engulfed me. You know, when you're overwhelmed, it's, it's okay, you know, as long as you can see a light at the end of the tunnel, right? We want to see a light at the end of the tunnel. But here, let's face it, the psalmist is not seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. The very last verse, you have taken from me friend and uh, neighbor, he says. I'm all alone. I'm all alone. One of the worst things of despair is you can feel all alone. Like no one either is there for you, no one understands what you're going through, they, they can't relate to you at all. I think that's one of the reasons why um, belonging to a church family is so important. Um, 
being connected to a church family so that you and your family can know that you have flesh and blood people who, who know you and who care about you. They might not know exactly what you're going through, but they're there for you. But the psalmist says, I'm completely alone. He never gets an answer from God. Now let me tell you why this psalm is so important. I'll release the junior hires in just a moment. But let me tell you why this psalm is so important. It's the psalm for when you are at your wit's end. When you can't find the answers that you're looking for. When there are no answers to be found. God shows us, I'm not giving you an answer. I'm giving you myself. God says, I'm not promising you anything external to me. I'm promising myself to you. God says, I've got you. You might not have a peaceful feeling. That might not be your answer, a peaceful feeling. You might not have an answer to why you're going through this, a good explanation. But God says, you have something much, much better while you're going through this, you have me. And my grip on you is greater than despair's grip on you. God's grip will always be greater in your despair and depression. All right, junior highs, you're released to go and, and to uh, keep discussing uh, despair and, and hope that we have. Um. Do you remember the story of when Jesus' friend Lazarus dies? I thought about the story as I was reading Psalm 88. Jesus arrives too late to heal Lazarus from his sickness. He just shows up too late. Lazarus' sister Martha tells Jesus, if you had been here earlier, my brother wouldn't have died. I'm not sure her tone of voice. I'm sure it was full of tears and sorrows and grief and pain. Um, but she tells him, if you had been here earlier, Jesus, my brother would not have died. Translation, if you had been here earlier, we would have received the answer that we were looking for. Still, she says, I know you are good, Jesus. I know that my brother Lazarus will receive resurrection on the last day. He will receive resurrection. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're hoping for, resurrection. Do you remember what Jesus says in reply to that? He doesn't say, I will give you resurrection. I will give Lazarus resurrection. He doesn't say, I'm all for resurrection. What does Jesus say? John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. He doesn't say, I can give you the answer to your problem. He says, I am the answer. It's me. It's me. That is the answer. I, I, I'm here. I'm the answer. I'm here. I think Psalm 88 does point us to an answer, the answer. Jesus is the resurrection. That's the answer that Psalm 88 points us to. And this is how despair can be a gift. If it takes us right to the answer himself, right to Jesus himself, 
Despair helps us to realize that, that circumstances themselves, better circumstances, they are not the answer that we are looking for. We might like that. That's not the answer. Better circumstances is not. Jesus is. Uh, in his book, The Cry of the Soul, uh, Dan Allender talks about two kinds of hope that we can have. I want to go through these two kinds. He doesn't name them like this, but this is essentially what he's talking about. So two kinds of hope. Um, and the first is circumstantial hope. And that's where we hope for improved circumstances. Does the Bible say that we should hope for better circumstances, that we should be confident in better circumstances? Yes, that God is for us, that God um, will uh, knows um, what we need. We can expect God to provide for our needs. Um, I think the Bible points us to a God that is a God of, of life. Um, he doesn't want his children to go without. So the Bible does point us to um, hoping and better circumstances. Uh, Jesus tells that parable of a woman persistently coming to a judge who can grant her request. He's an unjust judge, doesn't really care about this woman, but she just keeps coming to that judge and nagging and nagging and nagging. Finally, the judge says, finally, I'm, I'm tired of hearing from you, and he grants her request. And the parable, Jesus' point is this, is that God is righteous and good. He's much different than that unjust judge. But if that unjust judge finally gave in to the woman's answer, how much more will God hear your prayer? The Bible does, in, in, in several places, point us to, um, to hope for better circumstances and to believe that God wants to do that. But sometimes he doesn't do that. Sometimes God doesn't improve our circumstances. And so there's a second hope. So the second hope is this. It's resurrection hope. Resurrection hope is the hope that Jesus' resurrection is just the beginning. That his resurrection is this catalyst that brings about many other resurrections. And the chapter in the Bible that I think speaks to resurrection hope more than, maybe more than any others, um, at least one of the top, is, is Romans chapter 8. I want to just look briefly through the Romans chapter 8 and, and point out um, a few things, a few ways, three ways, that resurrection hope can, can pull us out of despair. One, resurrection hope says that we are never alone. As I mentioned, one of the companions to despair or depression is loneliness. You can feel isolated and believe that no one understands. But God promises, I am with you. And he gives us this promise, promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 23. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes, We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. What is this redemption of our bodies that we are looking forward to or we're waiting for a resurrection, our resurrection, the redemption of our our bodies, one day, the physical body that you enjoy right now, it's going gonna, it's gonna to break down, and it will die one of these days. But you will receive a new physical body, a resurrected body. Jesus' resurrection is a catalyst. It's a first fruit of, 
of, of your resurrection. And while you wait for that, God says, I'm giving you another first fruit. I'm giving you the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you receive God's Spirit. And if you are depressed, you can know that God is with you. And there are times when you can be in such a depression, such a a funk and despair, and you don't know how to get out of it. And you might find that nothing really is drawing you out of your depression. Friends aren't drawing you out of depression. Uh, Positive thinking isn't drawing you out. Bible reading might not. Prayer might not be drawing you out of depression. You might not even know what to pray for. You know, God says, God says, even when you feel like you are in isolation, I will be with you. Even when you don't know what to pray for, guess what God says? My Holy Spirit is in you, and my Spirit will pray for you. So look at this promise from Romans 8, verse 26. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through Wordless groans. In other words, you don't, you don't have to believe that you have to get yourself out of your state of despair. See, God will take on that responsibility. And God's Spirit will be praying for you. And God will answer those prayers that the Spirit is praying for you. Two, second uh, way, resurrection hope says... God works all things for our good. Romans 8 has one of the, the, the great promises in, uh, in the Bible, uh, Romans eight twenty eight. 28. Uh, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And when you, you can find no good reason for why you're going through what you're, you're going through, you can know that God will use it for your good. But here's the deal. You may never experience, you may never uh, get the explanation of how it's working for your good. Uh, you may never um, know in this life why the tragedies happen. You may never know why um, you lost your job and you had to relocate. You may never know why you had that debilitating injury that has um, affected the rest of your life. You, you may never know why you lost the, your child. You may never know why your, your spouse died in an early age. Um, but you can trust that in the end, God, God does. God knows. So verse 29, the verse after Romans uh, 28 continues this thought of God using all things for our good. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. He glorified. Resurrection hope tells us that when... Resurrection hope tells us that we can trust that God takes all of the difficulties we go through now, and he works them all towards our future glorification, our receiving of that final resurrection, the resurrected bodies that we will receive one day, the fulfillment of our eternal life. God will work all things for our good towards our glorification. 
And three, resurrection hope says that nothing separates us from the love of God. Nothing separates us. And Romans 8 finishes with this glorious statement that there's nothing that God's love will not overcome. And you know that passage. Let me, let me read uh, the end of Romans chapter 8. Uh, Paul starts with this question, Who shall ever separate us from the love of Christ? What about trouble? Will that separate us? No. Hardship, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Nope. Verse 38, uh, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In depression, depression and despair can be so debilitating. The psalmist says, darkness is my closest friend. Could it be that God allows darkness in our life because he knows that his love is going to shine the brightest in that darkness? That God is so committed to us knowing the depth and the power of his love that he allows us to walk through darkness and despair at times? Why would you allow us to walk through this wasteland, God, we might ask? God says, so that you will know in your soul, not just our minds, but in your soul, that even when there are no other answers to be found, even when the day seems useless, when you feel completely useless, when there isn't even, even any feeling in you, God says, so that you will know that I cherish you. That I cherish you. That I love you completely. That I am your answer, God says. Nothing will ever able, be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And God shows us this love in Christ Jesus. Do you know that there was a time when Jesus was on the cross and he called out to God and he never received an answer? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he didn't hear an answer from God. And he died all alone. All of his friends had abandoned him. Jesus went through despair. So that you could recognize and know the deep love of God, the cherishing love of God for you, even, even when you're feeling completely useless and all is wrong in your life. You can know God still loves me so. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that you're in this place, that you're in this room, that you're with us right now, and that you are our treasure you are our prize. You are our answer. We know that you are good to us and you bring us so many good things in our life. Thank you, Heavenly Father. 
but we also know if all of that is stripped away, that we still have you and your love, and that is better. So we thank you. And in this moment, Lord, we want to we want to be like the psalmist. If we are in despair, if we are in depression, one, we want to run to you, we want to bring that to you. And and even when we don't feel like we have the energy to do that, we give you thanks and praise that you still hold on to us with that loving grip of yours. And you keep us so close, even when it doesn't feel like you are nearby. So thank you for your love, the effort that you give to us, and the effort that you gave in sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. We pray all this in his name. Amen.